You're listening to the Ag Watch Podcast, where we dig deeper into the story to find the people and forces growing American agriculture. Hosted by Terry Simmons. My guest today on the podcast is John Smith. John is the co-founder of JNR Flying Service, an innovative company that employs three Bell UH-1 Huey helicopters and an Air Tractor 802 fixed wing to apply agrochemicals and fertilizers. In this episode, we discuss how John first got started as a crop duster, why he chose helicopters, reconnecting with the Huey's roots in Vietnam, how to become an ag pilot, and much, much more. Here we go. John Smith, welcome to the show. Thank you. How's it going today? It's going pretty good. You own JNR Flying Service. You and Rick Meeks are the owners in that, right? That's correct. And uh, you're a crop duster, and you have Huey helicopters that you use, and you also have an Air Tractor 802, right? That's correct, yes. Every time I hear the Huey flying around, think about the old Vietnam War movies. And, uh, so it's pretty strange, one, here in eastern Arkansas where we live, to have people that do very much crop dusting with helicopters, and even rarer probably to have people that use Hueys to do it with. How'd you get started doing this? Tell us where you're from and about your early life. Okay, I grew up in rural Sharp County. Uh, went to school at Williford, Arkansas, and uh, went to uh, school in Southern Arkansas University to get my airframe and power plant mechanics license and wanted to be an aircraft mechanic, I thought, but uh when I was 18, I got my first helicopter ride and decided that instead of working on them, I'd rather be flying them. So for the next four or five years of my life, uh, every time when I was at working or if I worked an extra weekend or whatever to uh, get money to spend to further my education to be able to fly. So in 2000 and no, excuse me, in 1994, uh, started crop dusting what what got your interest going in aviation were you more interested in the mechanical stuff first or were you interested in, in flying in aviation actually in the mechanical end of it first uh, i i grew up my dad was a mechanic and uh, i enjoyed working on things i, I uh, enjoyed you know working on old trucks and stuff things like that and uh that's where I got my start, and so I wanted to be an aircraft mechanic initially. But after I got my first ride, I was uh, that changed my mind pretty drastically. You remember that first ride? What it was? Yep, I was in a Bell Forty Seven. It was a J Two A up at Black Rock, Arkansas, and uh, uh, I'd worked all week, and we just got out one Saturday evening, and the guy I was working for asked if I'd like to go for a helicopter ride. So I said, sure. And I loved it. Well, talk about the school that you went to. So you went to Southern Arkansas. Yeah, Southern Arkansas University Tech at Camden, and it was a two-year program. And I I went there, got my A and P license and an associate degree in uh, 
aviation maintenance technology. There's a few different programs. You, I guess used to, it was harder to find a program like that. Uh, I know some guys that were about my age that wanted to get into aircraft mechanics. I think they went to Oklahoma and went to school. But there's that one, and there's one at... Uh, uh, Pocahontas now, right? No, the one at Pocahontas actually closed, but there were several for a while there. When I went, there was only one in Little Rock and one in Camden, and I chose to go to the one at Camden. I thought the degree might help me later in life, but um, uh, the Little Rock one was a Votech school, and that one was a two-year college, and I thought that might be better at the time. But after that, there was one at I think there's one in Blyville now, and there was one at Batesville for a while, and there was one at Pocahontas for a while. They sort of sprung up, but now some of them went away again as well. What do you think is causing that? Well, at the, at the time, there was a quite there was a kind of a need for aircraft mechanics. It's sort of cyclical in nature as far as uh, you need a lot. By the time they get through school, then the you know it's a downturn in the economy again, or you know in the aviation economy, and so I think that's just what it was. Is they were trying to meet a need, and then the needs met, and so then people are having a hard time getting jobs, and there's not as much interest and things like that. And I think that was the reason they went away. How has the technology changed since you've been out of school? I know avionics have probably advanced quite a bit. GPS that you use, uh, the systems you use when you're spraying in the field. Talk about that a little bit. Uh, yeah, you know, of course, when I first started uh, out in ag aviation, we used flaggers and uh, technologies came a long ways. Now we use automatic flow control and GPS to flag the fields and also to maintain the correct flow uh, while we're spraying the fields. And, you know, all that's you know, it's changing rapidly. We have uh, prescription maps now. We have, uh, you know, shape files that you can I can fly from here to Missouri and know exactly where I'm going and, and spray the field, never even look at a paper map, um, things like that. So it has advanced very rapidly. So once you got out of school, what was your first job? Uh, my first job, I actually started my own business for a little while, and uh, I, I got in, you know, I was talking into doing some things, uh, renting some aircraft and doing some things like that and jumped in a little probably over my head uh, for a for a 20-year-old guy. And that was my first job. And then uh, after that, I, I went to work at Wynn rebuilding some helicopters for some guys. That was my second job. And then actually ended up at Jonesboro working as an A&P mechanic at the airport for a while before I started flying. So tell us about flying and becoming a pilot, making that jump from being uh, a mechanic technician to becoming a pilot. Well, it was, you know, something that I'd wanted to do for a long time. And it's uh, becoming a pilot, you know, especially an ag pilot is real tough to get broke into. Uh, once you once you get hours, it's not hard to get a job, but everybody wants hours to get the job. So it's a real difficult thing to do. Um, uh, my partner, he had went to work for a group of farmers there and, the year before I started and they, he had convinced them to buy a helicopter and, and it worked pretty well for them. And so they, he was actually overwhelmed with work, had more than he could, you know, really do. So I was working at, at the airport and I was working on their aircraft some in the evenings. And, uh, so he convinced them that they needed to buy the second helicopter. And so I went to work with a relatively low amount of time, but they, uh, they stuck their neck out for me somewhat, and it worked out pretty well for both of us, I believe. So let's talk about what a person, jump ahead a little bit. If a person's interested in becoming an ag pilot, what are some of the things that they have to do to where they can be insured and then be employed? 
Well, that's that's a quite a topic of discussion right now. There there are a few ag schools that you can go to. Of course, you're going to have to get your you're going to have to get your commercial license, uh, fixed wing or or rotor wing, whichever one you, you're going to try to do. And there are a few schools um, that you can go to. But it, what's really tough is even if you go to a school, you're still going to need some hands-on experience. And in my opinion, and most of the other folks that I've talked with, you know, in the ag aviation industry. To me, the best way to do it is to start off loading. Even if you after you get your pilot's license, you're going to have to work on the ground. I th- I would say for at least a year to get you know there, you just learn so much on the ground that uh, even if you're a good pilot and and uh, you know can handle the aircraft safely, there's just so much to do that's not related to actually flying. I mean, that's the easy part of our job, to be honest with you. Knowing what chemicals are going to kill what, and knowing the proper nozzle setup, and the you know the proper you know, way to do things, you can learn a lot of that just loading. Along that same vein, how much has it helped you as a pilot having had the experience of being a mechanic first to, uh, uh, you know, notice when something's up with the aircraft or just to, to be a better applicator because of all the knowledge you have? Yeah, it does help. And I was a loader man before I was a mechanic as well. So, uh, but yeah, it does help a lot because you're always looking, you know, and if, if something does break, you can take care of it and we don't have to necessarily farm a lot of stuff out we do a lot of the work on our helicopters and planes in our shop we do hire some of it out but most of it we do in-house and it does uh you look for the things that are becoming loose before they get too loose and just things like that because you've uh, experienced what what to look for so the people that you worked for initially, when they had the one helicopter, I guess, that Rick was flying, and then they bought the second helicopter that you were the pilot of, talk about those helicopters. What were they? They were Bell 47s. They were single-place Bell 47s. Uh, the one that Rick bought, they had bought it and uh, took it to a shop and had it you know, gone through and the annual done on it. The one we bought for me when I started, it was basically disassembled, and so we had to assemble it and build it, sort of build it up and get it all going but they were single place bell 47s you could carry about 80 gallons with those two helicopters that we uh started off with so people that don't know a bell 47 is that helicopter you see that has kind of the bubble canopy on it yeah the mash helicopter is what everybody thinks of but but these were actually modified to a single place so these actually looked more like a oh they, they had a single place cabin instead of the big bubble they just had a smaller windshield and one one person could ride on you know fly those so whenever you were spraying that way, you had a loader truck, and uh, the way helicopters work, you have a loader truck that goes out in stages close to the field that you're doing the application on, and then you land the helicopter on top of the truck. It's a built a specific way, and then you can uh, refill with water and chemical and also with fuel off the truck, right? That, that's correct. Yeah, we, we do that, so we cut down on the ferry time. A helicopter's not quite as fast to get back to the strip, and... A lot of the farmers like it. You know, we're staying on their farm and doing, you know, the mixing, loading, everything is right there on on site. So that's a big advantage for the helicopters. So back in the day, you had one guy on the truck and then you were in the helicopter. Is that the way it worked? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and that's much the way we do it today. Sometimes we have two, but most of the time it's just me and one loader guy. You uh, flew with those Bell helicopters, and then you transitioned into these UH-1 Huey helicopters, which uh, they may not know the numbers, but everyone recognizes that as the classic Vietnam War movie kind of helicopter. uh, How did you get started using those? Well, at the time we were using a fixed-wing aircraft to do our dry work, and we were doing the... uh, 
we were doing the spraying with the two smaller helicopters and and we were having difficulty keeping fixed wing pilots that you know that would stay and do good work and everything so rick and i decided to uh we had heard of some folks doing dry fertilized work with helicopters and so we we did some research and found some guys that were doing it we went out to north carolina and watched them do it some and decided that would be a good fit for us because uh you know, we just go to the bigger helicopters. We could do their spraying and the fertilizing, and we could take care of it ourselves, you know, pretty much. We actually later decided that the fertilizing wasn't the best plan for the helicopters in this area because there are enough airstrips that an airplane can do it a little more efficient. So um, we, we that's what we actually got into it for was to for doing the dry fertilize and the spraying. I had so. forgot about that. That was the, the big bucket days. Yeah. So explain how that bucket worked. Well, it was on a 25-foot cable uh, on, the, on the cargo hook, and, you know, we'd, we'd load the fertilizer right there at the field much the same way we do the dry. We'd just bring the fertilizer truck to the fields, and then we'd just pick up and, and do it, you know. And we could do quite a few pounds per hour. I mean, I guess, I'm, I, you know, I've done 30,000 pounds an hour with it, but uh, we averaged about 20,000 pounds an hour probably. And, and fuel got to a point where it was up there around $4 a gallon, and it just wasn't very it wasn't economically feasible to do it anymore i remember seeing that it was an odd sight to see a huey helicopter flying around with a big bucket hanging off the bottom of it yeah it was it was a bit different it, it worked actually pretty good i mean we had uh had a small had a learning curve there initially you know because we had never done it and we were getting used to the helicopters used to the application system and everything so i'm not going to say we did a perfect job right out of the box but it it, we got it figured out after a bit, and it worked pretty good. These Huey helicopters that you have, they're military surplus helicopters. That's right. Yeah, actually, two of ours have Vietnam history. Uh, one of them has Vietnam and Desert Storm history. Uh, the guy that flew my helicopter, the one that I normally fly, 383, the guy that flew it in Vietnam actually looked up the serial number and where we had purchased it from the Atlanta Police Department and tracked it down in, in 2008. He came and... And I gave him a ride in it and let him fly a little bit. It was it was pretty neat. I guess that was a pretty moving experience for him. It was, yeah. You would have thought I gave him a million dollars by the smile on his face after I let him fly it. I mean, he was really he was really happy, you know. Of course, he was looking. It actually got shot down. It's in a there's actually a book about it, but uh, or it's got talks about it in a book, not about the whole thing. But it actually talks about that helicopter getting shot down and stuff. And he was looking for the bullet holes, but it had been through so many repairs. He really couldn't find exactly where they were at. But it was a, yeah, it was a neat deal. Where was that guy from? Maryland. He had actually got out of the military and he, he flew for the Maryland State Police until he retired. And uh, so he, he continued flying after he got out of, you know, got out of the service. So when did you and Rick decide to go out on your own? Well, in 2000, uh, late 2007, uh, the owners came to us and, you know, decided that they had, you know, maybe like to just concentrate on the farm and maybe see if we'd be interested in buying out the business. And uh, So this was a big farming operation, and you guys worked for them, and you were kind of an arm of that where you had to fly in service, and you did work for them and then outside, and then they decided they just wanted to go back to just straight farming and not have this kind of other area of emphasis right yeah there were three farmers that that were involved and owned the owned the company and they farmed uh, i would say close to twenty five thousand acres of rice not counting their beans but they're pretty big operation and uh, yeah they decided they instead of 
you know, being in the flying service business and they decided to get out. And that was sort of in our, we had talked about it initially that maybe if they ever decided to, we'd at least have the first opportunity. So we decided at that point to go ahead and purchase the business and or the assets of the business and basically started our own business. But it was mostly the assets from the old business. Talk to me a little bit about what it was like going for working for someone to being the owner and having that responsibility. I mean, that's a big step because, you know, helicopters not cheap and all the infrastructure and things that come along with that. That's pretty expensive stuff. Plus, you and Rick are, you know, taking a lot of financial responsibility on. You're stepping out. What gave you the courage to do something like that? You know, we had always treated the business from the first day I started working there. I treated that business like it was my own business. I mean, I we pretty much ran the business. I mean, we talked to them about the financial aspects of it, but we made a lot of decisions. We'd present it to them. And so, you know, there wasn't a lot of things that changed except for putting our names on you know signing our names at the bottom line so yeah it was very scary because you know it was a big step going went into a lot of debt but you know we just had to uh, have faith that it was all going to work out and and so far it has you know we're about nine years into it now and so far uh you know we've actually added added an airplane and uh added a you know we're gonna operate three uh1s and an 802 and so far everything's working out okay i love the air tractor 802 it's an awesome machine it's it's a big plane it carries a lot of fertilizer on it uh talk about your fixed wing operations and what they do uh yeah we we do spraying and fertilizing with with 802 uh you know primarily it has been used a lot for for the fertilizing our operation but we're we're getting into more spraying with it now and uh you know it just will do so much more work than we had two 500 gallon airplanes and and that 800 gallon airplane will do as much as those two 500 gallons would i mean that's hard it was hard for me to believe when i was trying to drag my feet not wanting to go that direction but it really will. It, it gets a lot of work done in a day's time. For people that may not know what that is, that's the big yellow and blue planes that you see, the crop duster plane. And the 802, I think I've read stuff in the past before, it's like the largest capacity single engine uh, propeller-driven aircraft like that. I think some countries even use it in their military. Yeah, they use it in the military and a lot of firefighting. They use it in the single engine uh, attack uh, tankers. And that's a really a big deal now out west. They're using them uh, to fight fires, but yeah, it's a it is an awesome aircraft, and it it is eight hundred. It'll carry eight hundred gallons of of liquid. Talk about some of the chemicals that you apply, because people that are not involved in agriculture, you know, they likely see the helicopters out flying around, or they see the air tractor out. Start with fertilizer and talk about what you do, and then talk about, especially in rice farming, uh, what the helicopter does. Yeah, primarily, you know, in, in rice, the, the, the fertilizer that goes out, we, we put pre-flood fertilizer, and then we'll put a mid-season application, and that's when you usually see the airplanes flying a little bit higher and the white pellets coming out, but that's that's mostly a lot of nitrogen to, uh, you know, keep the plants growing. And then on the chemical side, you know, we do, our primary thing in rice is to control grass and weeds, so we'll start with a, you know, a pre-merge, a lot of times we'll use a, a glyphosate product to uh, burn down the the grass and weeds that's there from the previous winter on in a, especially in a no-till situation and then we'll put a pre-flood grass 
application usually out and then also broadleaf is getting to be where more broadleaf used to we did a lot of mid-season like a broadleaf killer then but now most people are doing it pre-flood and then you know we'll do a fungicide right now we're in the middle of our fungicide application and insecticide so you know rice gets uh several different uh trips across it each year so that's reason in this in the rice growing regions, you see so many flying services because it's a pretty huge demand in this area. I know you've got fixed wing and rotary wing aircraft. There's always this debate in farming about which is better, helicopter or fixed wing. What do you think the advantage is of the helicopter? Personally, I like the helicopter. I think we can probably get into a little tighter places, which we do good in the big fields as well. But we can slow down if we need to. We can speed up. Um, we're on site. We're not having a ferry, you know, 20 miles back to the strip. But, you know, uh, the, the airplanes do a good job too, and I'm gonna not going to, you know, talk away, take away from the airplanes. Personally, I think the helicopters, my customers, most of them like the jobs the helicopters do. And that's that's the reason we still stick with them. We've got a lot of folks that like them. Again, for people that may not know as much about it, in row crop farming, soybeans, corn, stuff like that, you can use ground rigs and uh, go across there but in rice it's muddy in the rice field obviously so you need to have aircraft to apply stuff yeah it's muddy in the rice fields and even even in the other crops if you uh, measure your yield loss it's not a very economic deal to use a ground rig i mean most people i mean a lot of folks do it but studies have shown that it's uh, it's actually cheaper to pay for the aircraft to go across the field than it is to for the yield loss from from the ground applications uh, we do do a lot of a lot of stuff here we've got aircraft right now in iowa working uh two helicopters up there spraying fungicide on corn uh that's kind of been a big thing the last several years uh, this time of year uh, up there they only get about one or two applications so there's not near as many flying services there in this year in this area so we send some aircraft to the north you know to the midwest to do fungicide applications we're starting to slow down here so it works out pretty well for us so that's actually a deal that people do that uh, a lot of flying services they have an aircraft or everyone at the flying service they go and they follow this fungicide application year across the midwest right yeah there's most flying service from here will send at least one aircraft up that way yep that's that's get to be a a big deal back when corn was a little higher it was a little bit better than it is now but um, so far, we're having a decent year up there this year. You've innovated in some ways, um, you know, some inventions that you guys have come up with, like folding back the spray booms and stuff like that. And I want you to talk about that little rig that you uh, uh, land the helicopter on every night. Yeah, when we first got our helicopters, uh, we got ground handling wheels with them that you had to put them on the skids and they had a jack and you'd have to jack it up and push it in with a tow bar and it was you know probably a 20 minute ordeal to put the helicopter in and out of the uh, shop every night so um, I'd seen some tugs that were built with tractors and things like that and uh, I decided that we I came up with an idea and proposed it to the guys and they uh, came up with a little front wheel drive car and we've got a front wheel drive car cut in half <laughs> and mounted on the front of a, uh, a landing dolly and it works pretty well. It looks a little funny, but it works pretty well. Tell us what your day is like. You get up early in the morning, because anytime I go to ride with you, I always have to get up earlier than I get up <laughs> for anything else that may be going duck hunting. So tell us what your day is like. 
Well, normally in the summer, I'm usually at the flying service by around 5.15 or so. And, uh, you know, I, most days we try to have the truck preloaded the night before. So we, we try to get an early start so, that, you know, before the wind's blowing much, things like that. But uh, we try to get an early – we'll get there, and all the guys will usually head to the field to start off with. And, you know, we'll get the helicopter out, start off, and go to work. And then, you know, depending on the season, but – uh, like right now, it's getting so hot in the middle of the day, we usually try to stop spraying by about at least noon because of the evaporation. You know, if it's cooler, we'll spray all day and even up to the evening. Sometimes we have to stop during the day and wait for the wind to change or for the wind to lay down. We'll go back in the evening and spray some. Generally, when you leave your airport in the morning, you're unloaded. The truck has had a head start on you. It's right around daylight. They go out and stage close to the first field you're going to spray. You land on top of the truck, and then they uh, fill your tank up. Then you go start spraying. That's right. Yeah. And you do that all day long. Yeah, just... Uh, uh, yep, just grab another load and go again. You know, we usually try to work our way. You know, usually by noon we're getting low on water and you know sometimes low on fuel or whatever. So I try to plan my day to where I'm working my way back towards our our strip around noon, and then we'll usually fill up with water and go again and and head back out and make another circle. Usually, if the you know just depending on the on the weather, of course. What's the most acres you've ever sprayed in a day? Personally, the most I've sprayed in this area, I've did 2,400 acres, you know, and that's that's five-gallon work. But uh, we've had helicopters up in the Midwest that have done uh, – our highest day, I guess, for the company is around 3,600 acres. Wow. But I haven't personally hit, met that goal. Everything in aviation, your pilot's license and stuff, is all about hours and how many hours you have. About how many hours do you have? Right at 13,000. That's a lot of hours. Yeah. When we were flying Bell 47s, we were putting anywhere from seven to 900 hours a year in. Uh, now that we've got the bigger helicopters, I'm putting around 300 hours a year in. So you do some specialty jobs, too. I know there's a duck hunting-related job up in Missouri you've been doing the last few years. Talk a little bit about stuff like that. Yeah, we do some contract work out of state. Uh, I go up there, and I have went up and killed the uh, killed the like the lily pads in the lakes and things like that and then i've got a i've been doing some work uh invasive species uh they've got some honeysuckle up around missouri up around st louis that are kind of taking over and it's it's the bush honeysuckle so it's really a it, it just looks like a bush to me but apparently it shades out the the seedlings and let, won't let the oaks and things grow so the Missouri Department of Conservation have used us for the past uh, three years to go up there, and it's usually late November, early December because we have to let the leaves get off the other trees, and we go up there and and just doing a section at a time trying to control the invasive species. There's also people in helicopters that, you know, I see on TV, don't see around here, but they they help with pollination and stuff. and Yeah, that was a big deal here probably 15 years ago, Rice Tech would bring helicopters in from all over to do to do rice pollination. I think they still do that down there in Houston, but I never did get involved with that. But they would go out there and, I don't know, you know, they just fly up and down the rows. They'd have the male and female rows planted, and they were using that to cross-pollinate for special seed rice. But I personally haven't been involved with that much. No firefighting or anything like that. No, we have uh, we have looked into that and considered it. I've got some friends that do that, and uh, you know that's it, a got to have a contract, and and we have bid on some work on that, but uh, did not get the bid. Uh, it was a call we needed contract, and it just didn't. I don't think I had all my eyes 
dotted and my T's crossed, you know. Those guys that do that a lot, they have people that sit in an office all day and and write those proposals and you know, that was my first one, so I, I really it didn't work out for us. But, you know, it's probably something that we would consider doing. But as long as we can keep plenty of spraying to do, I think I'd just soon do that. Now, earlier we spoke about the fact that all of your birds are military surplus. And you've started doing some work with old fuselages and stuff that you have with some museums and static displays. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, we, uh, we actually went up to Bloomfield, Missouri, to the Stars and Stripe Museum and and brought their helicopter down this past winter and, and refurbished that for them. We repainted it and made it look a little nicer. It had quite a few pieces, parts missing. We built them a pedestal to put it on and did that for them. And then we had an old one that was pretty much all the good parts were off of it. And we, we took it up to Wisconsin Dells, the Army Ducks uh, place up there. They built an aerial adventure park, and they put it up on the top of it. We built it up, painted it for them, and and delivered that to them. So it's sort of something to do when we're not doing anything else, I suppose. That's pretty important work, too, because I've seen, you can go to your Facebook page and look and see some of the paint jobs and the installations and stuff that you've done on that. But, you know, it's just your job and what you're doing every day, but you're flying a piece of living history while you're doing your job. Yeah, and we really do like, I mean, I enjoy that. And it's you'd be surprised how many people just come up to you and, tell me about how that brings back memories to them you know from from being in vietnam and stuff so it it is pretty i I enjoy doing that what do you think the future looks like for ag aviation well it's it's you know of course we got the ground rig competition it's that's always coming in i don't think they'll ever completely take us out but some people say that drones are going to take us out of business someday and that's possible i guess it looks like it's going to be a long ways away but you know, we, we just have to deal with a lot more regulations now, and it's it's going to make everything a little tougher for us. I mean, I think the profit margin is going to get slimmer, and, the you know, the hours flowing are probably going to get less. It's going to become a tougher business as, as the years go by. Is there room for people to innovate? So if the margin gets closer, then you need to be more precise. You think there's room in ag aviation for people to come up with a better way for the airplane or the helicopter to operate? You know, I think there probably is. You know, there's been some some uh, electrostatic sprayers and things like that that they, uh, you know, will use a lot less volume, and it's a charged droplet. And I, I'm i going to do some more research on that. That seems interesting. But, you know, uh, most folks in this area especially, they like more water, you know, and that's what all the tech men and everything are always pushing to more water. So I don't know if that would ever work in this area or not, but – seems to me like of what few studies i've seen it seems like it's more effective even with less water because it's the charged particles so you know i think there is room for innovation and i think you know our industry we've we've uh innovated since the early days you know in the 20s when we started this has always been you know guys out there making it work you know whatever needed to be done just seeing the need and and fulfilling that need so i think that you know, there is definitely room for innovation. I think it's just uh, the next problem that needs to be solved. We'll just have to solve it when it gets here, you know. Yeah, we came a long way from World War One surplus aircraft uh, to modern application, hadn't we? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the the guys that started off, if they saw a new, new aircraft today, they'd probably be pretty amazed, I would think. You've also 
had people that you've helped get their hours up and stuff that had other jobs in helicopter aviation or as pilots. Talk about what some of the other opportunities are for people. If they love helicopters and they're thinking about becoming a helo pilot, what are some of the other jobs they could do? Well, of course, EMS is a is a big job. You know, there's a lot, I've had a few guys that have come and worked with us and, and help build time, you know, to get get those jobs and, and that's a good opportunity and there's a lot of utility work you know uh, building power lines and things like that uh, that you can do uh, even sawing right away on power lines and things with a helicopter so there are a lot of opportunities it's just uh, the toughest part is just getting that first getting your foot in the door uh, of course there's flight instruction there's a lot of guys that do that to build hours because you know once you get your commercial license it's not too many more steps to be able to get your flight instructor rating and you can start teaching people to help build hours. But I would say, you know, firefighting, utility work, EMS is a big one around here, and they're really needing pilots. In fact, fixed wing or rotary wing right now is a good time to be looking at getting your pilot's license because the airlines are fixing to be in a super crunch. You're going to just, uh, I, I think the wages are going to get higher and a lot more demand for them because the retirement age for all those Vietnam guys is hitting. And, uh, they're just going to get in a crunch here pretty quickly. I, I'd never even thought about that before. So this is guys that got their pilot training in the military when we had a big buildup during the Vietnam War. They came out, they went into civil aviation as commercial pilots, and now they're reaching retirement age. Right, right. Like I think it's, what, 60? I think they might have bumped it up to 65 now, but at a certain age, for if you're an airline pilot, you have to, you got to quit. It doesn't matter if you're a great pilot, past physical or whatever you're done so those guys are reaching that age and and you know with more commercial traffic going all the time you know more people are flying now than ever and uh, that's just all the aviation magazines that you read that's that's the coming crisis they're calling it uh, for a young person that wouldn't be a bad opportunity and it's a lot of fun i mean i love to fly you love to fly uh, it, it's awesome. Yeah, I wouldn't want to do anything else. I mean, even on you know when I'm having a super bad day, it's still I wouldn't want to do anything else. I mean, that's that's what it comes down to. I really love what I do, and I try to try to treat each field as it's my own, and try to do my customers a good work, and pretty much our company that's company wide. We try to do everyone a good job, and and just enjoy what we do. So if someone wants to find out more about JNR Flying Service, they want to fly and, uh, see pictures of helicopters and some videos that you guys have shot of you doing applications and stuff, talk about your website and your social media. Yeah, our website is www.jnrflying.com. Our Facebook is JNR Flying. Just look, find us on Facebook and uh, and then you know we, we're on Twitter. I don't tweet, tweet very much, but we do have a have a Twitter account as well. So you can look on there and any of those social media sites and see us and, uh, you know, feel free to come by and check us out anytime. John Smith from JNR Flying Service. Thank you so much for sitting down with us today. Enjoyed the visit, Terry. Thanks. You've been listening to the Ag Watch podcast, where we dig deeper into the story to find the people and forces growing American agriculture. 